Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> Why do 81% of evangelicals who don't want um, same-sex marriage, don't like divorce, will, will, all these things, who, who, who can see all the moral failings of Trump, why do they choose? Why do they choose this man? And there's there's the exchange argument about about judges and all this, but that doesn't explain the fervency. Um, that doesn't explain the emotion and the passion, right? And so there's a there's a I think a willing suspension of belief to give oneself over and and kind of get worked up. Um, that is pleasurable and that um, becomes a cycle of identity formation and you become a fan and you become invested in this person, you become invested in their success. Hey, welcome Faithful Politics listeners and viewers. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, I am your political host, Will Wright, and I'm joined by Pastor Josh Bertram as your faithful host. How's it going, Josh? Doing well, doing well. Thanks, Will. And uh, this week we have uh, two gentlemen here from um, two different, I guess, prof- not professions, uh, two different academic worlds. Uh, we have Jerome Kapolsky and Michael J. Altman. Um, so just a little info about them. So Michael is the associate professor in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. And Dr. Jerome Kapolsky is the consulting scholar at the Smithsonian National Museum of America's History Center for the Understanding of Religion in America History and Research Fellow at the Berkeley Center for Religion, Peace, and World Affairs. So welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. This is great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so so we brought you here um, to talk about some work that you are doing, have done on a project called um, Uncivil religion. So um, maybe we can just kind of just jump right into it and, and you can tell our audience, like, what what the heck is uncivil religion? Well, what is it, Jerome? What is it, Jerome? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the project is, um, is a web archive um, of, uh, of born digital images and videos relating to the religious dimensions of uh, January 6, 2021. And what we've done is we've collected uh, photographs uh, and videos that we were able to find on social media, uh, mostly taken by people who are participating in the event, uh, both in the rallies um, and the riot and insurrection. Uh, and providing a place for them to live uh, on the internet so that the public and scholars can go and see that this, there was a religious aspect the religious aspects, we should say, um, to the events of January 6th at the Capitol. And we've also invited a number of scholars, uh, in religious studies to provide brief interpretive essays on selected images to use the tools and the categories and the insights of religious studies to shed light um, on the event itself. And did you want to add anything to, to that? Oh, Mike? No, I mean, I think that, yeah, it's, it's, that it's a, uh, both a kind of exhibit of the, the digital objects, you know, a, a segment, I think there's, there's 107 objects in the site right now. And that's taken out of what could have been thousands. Um, 
And um, and then the essays are sort of attempts at interpretation um, on sort of selective ones. So it's, it's it's this nice balance between sort of galleries where people can see stuff for themselves and then um, some work that kind of leads you through making sense of some of it as well. Yeah. So, I mean, why... <laughs> Like what? What would inspire you to to take on like this? I don't know what what appeared to be like this Herculean effort to chronicle, you know, one the event. I mean, like I I think it's safe to say that there's been enough documentary so far um, around um, January sixth, and you know, supposedly there's a there's a movie that's being made by the don't look up folks <laughs> called J six, uh, about the event. So, so like what, 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 what inspired you guys to kind of add sort of this to the, the canon of, of events that happened on that day? Hey, Will, are you playing the part of Trump in that movie? I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the, uh, I this figured. is the, the version that will be aired on BET. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> so you know I, I first i think first off you know we were all shocked by by the event um and one of the things that i noticed and, and mike noticed and, and a number of people who were, were watching noticed was that many of the people who were were there at the rallies and who participated um, in the assault at the capitol were carrying religion with them right there was there were there was some sort of some expression of religious identity, religious belief, religious practice going on. Um, and that, that was, that was very clear. Um, and it, it jumped out at, at me as, as an observer. Um, and shortly after, um, the event, uh, our colleague, Peter Manceau, who is the religion curator, uh, at the Smithsonian Museum of American History began, um, on Twitter to tag, a number of these uh, photo, photographs and videos and statements, which which show that that people were motivated not only by their support for for Trump and his attempt to stop the steal, but also integrated their their religious beliefs and their religious identities with with their activities. And we felt it was important to to mark that and to to catalog it, to illuminate it, and, try, and to try to understand what is the relationship between one's religious identity, religious commitments, and these very radical political activities that were going on that day. Yeah, I was actually, um, as I usually am in early January, making a syllabus that should have been done in December. Um, I was teaching uh, that that spring semester, I was going to be teaching my class on religion, politics, and law. And so I was, this was happening, and I was, I saw Pete's, Peter's, um, uh, Twitter tweets, and I was just like, "Whoa, there's a there's a lot here." And uh, over the next couple of days, I was like, "I should just like redo this whole syllabus." Um, so I took that the that event and restructured the whole syllabus around it, so that different moments and images um, and a lot of the early early takes on it that came out in that first couple of weeks became kind of like the beginnings of of sort of units in the class. Um, and so that got me thinking right away, like. Like, we need to talk about this. Like, we need to talk about this in class. We need to have this kind of, um, and hear what students are thinking. And so we, so that happened in the spring. And then, um, and then Peter uh, and the, de- the chair of our department here at UA, um, Russell McCutcheon, had a conversation over, over Twitter where all good academic conversation occurred um, about um, 
about the, the stuff he had found and had and a hashtag and had written about a little bit, like what to do, is there something more to be done here? We have a digital lab, that our religious studies digital lab that works on digital projects. Um, and um, Russell was kind of like, we might have some help, you know, um, if, if we might be interested in working on this. And so I got a call from Russell over the summer saying, um, you know, what do you think about this? You know, are you interested? And and so that that's when I kind of got, and I just taught that class and he knew that. And that's kind of when I got brought in. And then, so then Jerome and I kind of met in August and started um, thinking about what was doable, what's doable in a semester, basically, um, as a project. And so we kind of set on like, let's just find, you know, I'm a big fan of examples. Like, let's just find a, a telling example that we can kind of figure out how to explain for people um, rather than trying to be exhaustive. And so we originally thought maybe we'll do like 10 or 12. And I think we have like eight, 17 or 18 essays on the site now. Um, so we um, shockingly overperformed on that um, and, and just had people who were willing to write and, and were interested in doing being part of the project. So that was, um, and then I was also teaching our, um, our religious studies and public humanities course that we have in our master's program here. And so those students are learning how to build projects like this and how to think about presenting academic work publicly, how to write for public audiences, how to do digital projects. So those three students in that course did a lot of the kind of work on sorting through the thousands of things, all the things that Peter had found, all the things we found other places online, sorting through them, sending them to Jerome and I to see which ones we thought were good. Like just a massive spreadsheet of stuff with Twitter links and parlor links and video links. Um, and then we kind of worked and then they went in and sort of built, like if you go to the site, you know, there's metadata that links back to where's this from, like all of that they put in um, for each item. And so they did a lot of that work and, and got a lot out of it. I mean, they, they learned a lot. Um, and we had a lot of really fruitful conversations about like, what does it look like to work on a project like this? Like, what does it look like to take this sort of um, images and videos that people shot that day and then put it on the internet and then make it into this kind of exhibit? So, um, so it, it really dovetailed nicely with stuff that was already happening in our department and stuff that I was already doing um, and interests I already had, too. That's awesome. It's so fascinating to hear about the uh, the backstory about what comes into this and, and, and how the you know, thought process that brings it up. You know, I, I have this kind of two-part question, and, and I, I like asking questions that, like, are kind of impossible to answer because I just think it gets, like, cool, like, you know, answers coming out and cool ideas. And I don't think it's necessarily impossible, but um, let's imagine just for a second, um, like, we're 250 years in the future. <coughs> Excuse me, or 500 years in the future. We're looking back on January 6th, the day of the insurrection or riot or, or the day that the good old Americans stood up finally for what they believed in, just depending on where you're coming from, I guess. Um, you're looking back on this and you guys are historians. So you know the historical process of, uh, you know, of finding data and, and, and trying to piece together what happened and all that stuff. Um, how do you think that you would interpret this, like, say, you're looking back on it at a distance from the past? Like, like, what would that objectively look like to you? And and then even after, like, what is your interpretation today about it, if you if you dare to venture that? I mean, don't ask us anything hard. Um <laughs> 
Well, first, you know, before Mike goes in, you know, Peter Manso, our our, co- our colleague and one of his colleagues at the Smithsonian, published um, earlier, uh, early in January, an op-ed at the New York Times where they sort of imagine um, what it'd be like to rethink January 6th from the perspective of what for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now. That's um, great. Their ar- right. And their argument, they're, they're imagining going into, you know, statuary hall and seeing a, 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 a statue of the, um, the, the QAnon, um, the shaman, the shaman, right. The QAnon <laughs> shaman being, being celebrated, being celebrated as, as a great hero of this event. And, and the point they were making is that, you know, we, you know, it will be later generations that sort of decide what happened in a certain sense, right? That, that they will interpret this history. Um, and, and, and therefore it's very, it's very important, um, as, as we move forward to understand that curating history is a, is a, is a political activity, right? So I, I would recommend to you guys and to your listeners to take a look at that, um, at that article, uh, which kind of deals, grapples with that, that question and, and rather, I think, disturbing or, or, or challenging way. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, the Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard question because... We're in this weird moment now where I don't know what things look like five years from now, much less 250 or, or whatever. Like, like, right, like right, it's, right, it's right. a, um, there's a, there's a book that I read in grad school by a guy, uh, William McLaughlin called, um, called revival, something reforms. I can't think of the top of my head, the thin little book. And everyone in my grad school class had read it, hated it, but I loved it. Uh, because he basically like divides, it was written in the seventies. He divides all of American history into like four periods of revival and reform. And this, in his sign, there's this sort of circle of like of revival breaks out. And then it, and then it kind of calcifies into a social, into a social formation. And then people get tired of that and they both break the whole thing up. And, and it was just one of these great big swings of like, I'm going to read a lot of, I'm a historian. I'm going to read a lot of like anthropology and sociology and then take a big swing at something and do it. And like, 185 pages. Um, and, um, but I don't know that I, I liked it cause I think he might be kind of right. Like not specifically, but like, it feels like we're in this moment where everything feel in, in, in multiple ways wide open, um, and up for grabs in ways that are like terrifying, but also in ways that can be opportunities. Um, and I don't know, so it's hard for me to know what that's going to look like, right? So in some ways, it's like, well, what happens in the next ten years? How do things, how do the, the the shakeups that we've experienced in the last ten years begin to to to, to become more solid in certain ways? And what does that look like, right? Um, and and 
because I think what I'm beginning to learn is that the make the if, if if Make America Great Again was like we need to go back to the '50s and the stability of like post-war America. That's the exception when it comes to the way societies work. Not the rule. Like we're not you're not gonna get you're only gonna get there briefly, and then the '60s are gonna happen, and then right. And so I I, I keep. I think it feels like who's going to win this culture war when this is all over will determine <laughs> whose statues get put in right. in the you know and how this is read right and to the extent that this project now um, makes some of the visions of what was happening that day available and then opens up people to ask questions about what happened and why it happened. Um, I hope it'll. Um, help to, to add some clarity and some places, some firm foundations to actually hang something or build something um, going forward. But I don't, yeah, it's hard to answer that question. I feel like it's just too, the tumult is too, is too real right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's speaking of culture um, for, <clears throat> for, for those that are listening and not, and not watching on YouTube, I just, I just have to make, I have to make a brief comment that like, you, Mike, you look just like Ben Folds Five. Um, I don't know if you've ever if you've ever been told that before. <laughs> Mike actually is 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 I Ben Folds. I did not live in, in Carborough. I did live. I did grow up in Durham for part of my teens, where Ben Folds was a kind nice. of demigod for every skinny white boy my age. But so so here's the thing: I used to wear a tie and dress shirt to teach it every day and then COVID happened and I got tenure nice. and so I just tenure and so COVID. I just decided like guy who may own this record store is the look <laughs> you're like I'm teaching a Lululemon I don't care you know That's awesome, like, this dude. guy has children so he should own something but he's standing in this record store so maybe it's his That's uh, maybe I don't know. Did, did he write the records? <laughs> no, that, that's funny. I, so no, but in all seriousness, <laughs> the, um, you know, I, I I'm curious on you know there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of media, a lot of essays um, as part of this project. Was was there one particular image, video, or essay that really kind of stood out to to each of you? Um, and you can, you can go first, Ben. Yeah, I think I know. Which one. Don't take. The I, know, I know which one's rubbed. <laughs> I, uh, I have a, I have a couple. Um, mostly, so like my one of my jobs in the project, Jerome did a lot of the heavy lifting on the editing side and 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 uh, for the essays and and sort of my my big task was sort of organizing and building out the site like the students kind of put everything into the site and then it was my job to kind of like how are we going to organize these essays how are we going to what are we going to embed with the essays that kind of stuff um and so i, I kind of have like my favorite from each section <laughs> but I, I think one that i one that stays with me is the um the guys climbing the wall video that cody musselman a yale phd student she wrote a, an essay about because at first glance, you're like, what is this? Why is this? What does that have to do with religion or anything? Um, and it's these young men climbing up the wall into the Capitol building on one side. And what you, what you don't, can't, can't quite tell what she talks about is like right next to this wall is stairs. 
<laughs> right? And and so as these guys are climbing up this wall, you know, it's like wow, like like. And she has this great great title for the essay. You don't you don't was it? You don't raid the Capitol by the stairs or something like that. Um, and, and so and she talks about the way like masculinity and fitness culture has been infused with not just certain forms of Protestantism, but certain forms of kind of like metaphysical or um, new age religion and how behind these dudes climbing this wall is this whole world of kind of, you know, the CrossFit um, um, get ready for anything culture that has its roots and, 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 and all the way back to the 19th century American physical culture, metaphysical movement. And so I love that image because it's like, it, there's just so much happening and you wouldn't think that there's a religion angle on it. But in fact, it's like, it's, it's the thing behind the thing that's going on there. Um, so that would be one. The other one that I like is, um, in terms of the ones that are connected to the essays, um, Sama Chaudhary has a piece on Jenna Ryan. I don't, she became internet famous and then is now in prison for trespassing, but where she has, um, a video of her yelling about how she's a great real estate agent and will sell your effing house and then turns and says in the name of Jesus and bolts to the doors of the Capitol in the crowd. This is all on her phone. Style. And then nice. proceeded to release a number of TikTok videos after her her conviction. And there's one even she posted like a night or two before she goes to jail where she talks about using it as a time to cleanse and do a lot of yoga. Um, and it's and Samad just traces her whole story and and again talks about how it connects to notions of Christian womanhood but also notions of kind of boss lady culture and the politics of, um, of, of female entrepreneurialism and how these in, in, inflect one another. Um, and it's one of the few one, essays that kind of starts that day and kind of tells a whole story. So like both of those jump out to me um, for just the video being like, like the, I, I sent that to Simone. I was like, she was kind of, I was like, what do you, do you think you want to write about? She's like, I don't really know. Just send me something. I sent her that. I was like, good luck. And she did just like a great job with it, and so I was just yeah, I was impressed. <laughs> what about you, Jerome? Awesome. I'm gonna before I give my example, I want to sort of use what what Mike is saying to, to say something about the way we organized, we thought about and organized the the project. Um, immediately after after the event, many commentators started discussing it in terms of of Christian nationalism. Or Christian Trumpism, right? That the religion that there was religion there, and really it was white evangelicals in support of Trump were were, were involved, and um, and that's largely true, you know. That but what we what we saw very clearly was it wasn't only white evangelicals who were involved in in um, in the both the, pro, the the rallies and the protests and and the attack on the Capitol. There were people who were displaying. Um, their Catholicism. There was there were Mormons involved. There were Orthodox Jews involved. Um, there were neo neo pagans involved. So it was a it was a religious event that was it was broader. I mean, the, most of the people came in support of of Donald Trump and an attempt to stop you know stop the steal by um, by getting by, by by disrupting this political ritual that was to occur. Um, but it wasn't simply a Christian nationalist evangelical event, something, there were other things going on. So that was the, the, that second level. And that third level is what, what Mike was in talking about, which is that we can use the tools, um, the, 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 the vantage point of religious studies 
to see the religious dimensions of what do not on, on, on the face of it appear to be religious activities, right? Like the, the scaling of the wall, um, for example. Um, so those were the three dimensions or the three lenses in which we tried to look at the materials that we gather together. Um, now, as far as, uh, as far as, um, the objects that I, I, you know, think really characterize, uh, my approach to the project, I think Bill Kors, uh, Phil Gorski's essay on, um, the prayer and the Capitol Rotunda, uh, and that, that we have a number of videos of people within, within the Capitol Rotunda. And I think that they're um, really interesting because of the way in which we see religion and particularly a religion in relationship to American politics and, and American history, what we might call civil religion. This goes back to why we um, titled the, uh, the project Uncivil Religion. So in this particular video, there are, are people parading through the Capitol Rotunda um, with American flags, with Trump flags, there may have been Confederate flags there as well, um, singing Battle Hymn of the Republic, which is interesting because the Battle of the Republic was, was a Union song. Mm. Um, song and uh, so people who uh, had may have had Confederate sympathies singing Battle Battle Hymn of the Republic is is awkward. Um, it was a a song, uh, the lyric the lyrics uh, were originally uh, about John Brown, John Brown's body. John Brown himself was an abolitionist who was um, executed for trying to commit insurrection against the United States government at Harper's Ferry and to incite a slave revolt. So there are these, these, these weird tensions that are going on within that. Um, and the video focuses on a particular participant who, who seems to be experiencing a kind of peak religious moment, right? He's, he's over he's overcome by by emotions uh people come to talk to him to help him out and they engage in a prayer huddle like what you'd expect out of maybe of a football team um the camera is then put on the ground so we can see the ceiling and of course the top of the capital of rotunda is a fresco of george of the apotheosis of george washington so george washington ascending into heaven as a god right so there's i mean it's such a rich video there's so much going on um, in a way, it is so complex and so confused um, that I think for me, it really sums up what what I was trying to get at in thinking of and, and bringing together these materials and, and offering it to a larger public. So it, it just sounds like there is a lot of diversity, like surprising amount of diversity, maybe I should say, um, and what almost seemed like a monolithic uh, group, but there is a surpri- surprising amount of diversity within that group. And then even like these like confused and conflated narratives of what people believed in, and the different representations of religion in America. I guess my question is what, what do you think this says about religion in America? I mean, you've hinted at it and I wanted to kind of ask it in a direct way. What, what do you guys think? This says to someone not in America about religion in America, how, what kind of window does this give us as we look at this? I think um, this kind of goes off what Joe was talking about, the kind of layers and layers of it. Because one thing that struck me as I went through all these images and videos is, is it's the number, like the symbols and the language, if you hear people talking, the prayers, the songs. Um, it's, 
I think one one way that I've been looking at it is that that religion is this. If you want to use the fancy academic term, it's this sort of discursive toolbox, but it's this kind of cultural toolbox that Amer- that certain Americans use to authorize their claims, right? And so for me, it's all like everything, a lot, or not everything, but a lot of what's happening, what happened on January 6th is the political claims about the election and Donald Trump and any number of things that are kind of in that, those, those political claims get made through the rhetoric of, or the language of, or the ritual practice of, or the symbols of what we might think of as religion, right? And so to me, what it says is that any kind of distinction between religion and politics, it should be, is false. Like should be, should be kind of broken. It it should be collapsed into each other that like that. And and on that day, how do you make a claim that the election was rigged be really true and authoritative? Well, you bathe it in worship music. You bathe it in prayer. You do it with a cross and a Christian flag. Like these are, these symbols are not, and the things people say about taking back America or making American more Christian or we have a Christian nation, all the, that you hear is 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 this this uh, these are authority claims, and that people are using this language and these images and these rituals to um, and I don't it, for to to, to to bolster and, and give these political claims a kind of transcendence and transcendent authority, right? This is something that religious studies scholar Bruce Lincoln writes about a lot, um, and I think for me, like that. That's the reading, and I don't mean that to say, like, one reading of that is to say, oh, the religion is fake, it's all just politics. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, no, 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 the politics is real, and the religion becomes this um, this, this tool, this method, this practice for, for authorizing that. Um, so yeah. That's- Yeah. Yeah. The, um, um, we, we, we lost you there for a second, Jerome. Glad to have you back. Um, for, for, (laughs) for, for, for those listening, you wouldn't have noticed anything. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like from, from both you guys, I mean, I'd imagine you guys waited through, I don't know, um, gobs and gobs of terabytes of, I don't know, media and files and whatnot, was was there ever a part of you guys that uh, were thinking or hoping in the back of your head that you wouldn't see somebody you recognized, or did you see somebody that that you recognized? <laughs> oh, dad! Oh no! <laughs> um, I I I wasn't worried about that. Now that you mention it, it would have been it would have been interesting. Um, my, my, uh, the congressman, uh, not my congressman. My old congressman, before I moved across town, mm. him and his wife made breakfast that morning for everybody at the rally. They were giving up breakfast, so we're not, <laughs> we're not Wow, oh. that's hilarious! You know, I um, what I you know, one thing I was thinking is um, is there? Do you guys think that there's another? like figure in American history that or even you could take it beyond American history I guess a better question is what figure in history modern history like has had this kind of fervor religious fervor 
in terms of his, their their uh, followership in in the wider public? Is there something you can think of? What do you think that parallel should teach us? Um, maybe warnings that the parallel might make for us. You know, when 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 Trump first got on the scene, I thought that the um, the sort of analogy would be to someone like Berlusconi in Italy, right? Sort of, you know, someone who was a, um, a pluto, plutocrat uh, coming in. Uh, but it, very, it became very clear that Trump's appeal has to do with his own odd charisma and his mm-hmm. own ability to to really reach reach his audience and reach his base in a way that, you know, I don't think any other modern American politician has ever done. Now, he also was a masterful use of social media. He is a, was a, sort of cr- cultivated an image um, using reality television. Um, in fact, you know, his uh, one, one could argue that he would not have had this sort of third act of his career as a politician if it were not for um, for the show, The Apprentice. Sure. Yeah. Um, right. I think it's interesting to note, to think about where The Apprentice came from and who produced The Apprentice. Um, and I, you know, I think what the, the, the other thing that's very interesting about Trump is, is his ability to use that charisma to take over the Republican party, right? Like, you know, now Trump says the people yeah. who oppose him are rhinos, right? Republicans in, in name only. <laughs> Trump was a yeah. Republican in name only when he became a member of the Republican <laughs> right. Party, right? In fact, Trump is the 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 selling points of Trumpism to his base um, are, in fact, many of which go against class, you know, Republican orthodoxy, right? So what he what he was able to do is was essentially take over the party and rebrand the party um, in his own in, in his own image, right? Which is which is remarkable. Um, it is remarkable. I. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the danger, you know, A, it, it, it showed uh, it showed that the guardrails of what we consider to be the guardrails of, of the American political process um, were not as high or as or as, as strong as we, we thought they would be. Um, but also the guardrails within the party establishment itself were not as were not as strong. Like there was all this talks, well, you know, he'll be we'll control him, right? Or he'll grow he'll grow into the presidency, right? There'll there'll be adults in the room, right? You can remember saying all these things. Um and what Trump has shown is that with with his own will, with his own charisma, um, and with the support of people who are who are willing to go along for whatever reason, um, all of those things really fell aside. Right? All of those you know informal more political mores and checks and balances that you know we thought were there that we can depend upon um and i think that's kind of that that that's new in american history you know we could draw analogies to other countries um some of them are you know maybe easy to grasp um but i think the dangers the danger is still there and i think you know other politicians are going to look at look very carefully at trump and his um failures and his successes and you, you know try to um tried to create them, their own political images um, following his model. What do you think? I, uh, I think one way to understand Trump, at least the char- the charisma of Trump is to see, to remember that Donald Trump is the only U S president inducted in the WWE hall of fame. Um, and so, you know, as much as, much as the reality TV is, I didn't yeah, know that. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and the only president to ever appear at a WrestleMania. Um, I think 
And I, I actually do think, not that Trump learned from professional wrestling, but I think that there is more, there is more to, better explanations for Trump's ability to his charismatic ability in professional wrestling or someone like P.T. Barnum in the 19th century um, than in, and, and um, then we sometimes think about, or even televangelists who I think are, are, are similar, in that ability that the goal is to get the emotional reaction from the crowd. Like, that's the goal, right? And it's a certain kind of demagoguery that relies on, on the suspension of belief so there's a really interesting, um, there's some really interesting work thinking about how a lot of people know that stuff Trump says is wrong or untrue, and they choose to believe it anyway. Just like thousands of people will pack in to a, an arena and know those two dudes aren't really fighting, but anyway, right? It. For the thrill, they want to suspend their disbelief and be a part of it. And I think that a lot of Trump's charisma is his ability to know. And a lot of the pivoting that happens that he does and the shifting is a constant back and forth with the audience, right? Where he can gauge what they want and know when to take it up, when to cool it down, when to take it back up again, right? And, and that, um, that ability, I think, is, and the ability to get people to buy into stuff that they know is not true. This to me is the explanation for the, why do, and this is something I'm trying, I'm working on writing up because I'm, is is this is the explanation for the eighty one percent evangelical white evangelical pressure? Why do eighty one percent of white evangelicals <laughs> who don't want um, same sex marriage, don't like divorce, will, will all these things? Who 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 can see all the moral failings of Trump? Why do they choose? Why do they choose this man? And there's there's the exchange argument about about judges and all this, but that doesn't explain the fervency. Um, that doesn't explain the emotion and the passion. Right. And so there's a there's, a, I think, a willing suspension of belief to give oneself over and and kind of get worked up um, that is pleasurable and that um, becomes mm. a cycle of identity formation. And you become a fan and you become invested in this person, and you become invested in their success. Um, so I, I think that that's um, that's a huge part of it um, when it comes. Yeah, and you, mm. I was just going to follow up that, you know, the thing about Trump is he wasn't just the impresario, right? Yeah. He was also the wrestler, right? So think about all those, <laughs> all those like cartoons or videos that you saw of Trump as a kind of, as a, as a wrestler or as a Rambo, right? That, that Trump, that Trump embodied himself, this, this um, pugilistic, this, this very aggressive attitude. And he was a champion of people who felt that their, their culture was being, marginalized by the libs right so 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 owning the libs right whether it was done on twitter or whether it was done you know in a press conference whatever yeah those very things that that right the that tone that aggressiveness was seen as a as 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 a sign of 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 his you know making america great again right even even if nothing came of it from a from a from a policy point of view he was willing to to go to the mattresses oh totally yeah yeah, you know, and and I, I'm, I'm I'm surprised, Mike, that um, that it took you this long to and to interject <laughs> wrestling because I, I, 
<laughs> I, I I couldn't help but notice, like just reading your profile, that you seem to be a fan. So, um, and Wordle too, whatever that is. I I I'm resisting the urge <laughs> well, to jump on the Wordle been, train. Been but... bought out by the New York Times, and so now it's just picky. They have, and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So it's over. Wordle's over. Yeah, now it's the failing Wordle. Yeah, yeah, like, like yeah, no more Wordle and no more David Leahart. That's where we are now. <laughs> but, but you know, on your on your uh, on your wrestling analogy about Trump, I'm I'm curious, you know, if like you 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 said, you know, people suspend their belief, um, and I'm curious on how much of that is true because, I mean. You know the per- the persona of Trump brought a lot of people to the polls for the first time. I mean, ostensibly, you could say the same thing about Obama. I mean, I the first time I ever voted was was for Obama, and and he sort of got me. You know, he, he sort of start the process of me wanting to be involved in the political process. And you know, if, if you've got somebody that you know kind of hears about Trump, you know kind of gets, you know, their information through word of mouth and says, yeah, this guy seems like he's pretty legit. You know, they don't follow him on Twitter. They go into it and then they start following, you know, this person. If that's their first like foray into politics, they may not know that there's there's a there's a different form that existed, you know. So it's 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 almost like I I think to myself thinking of thinking of wrestling like the the moment that I realized that wrestling was fake, you know. I mean, like I I grew up WWF, The Ultimate <laughs> yeah. Warrior was my favorite, you know. Um, and uh, and I and I remember like my parents telling me at forgot what age, you know, it might have been twenty one or something. But but like them them telling me that hey wrestling's fake, and I'm like no it's not. And they're like how they're like yes it is, and I'm like how can it be fake? You see how high that guy flew off the top turnbuckle you know there's no way this could be fake <laughs> exactly you know? uh and and i'm thinking like in the same political sphere like if you told an ardent trump supporter that voted for the first time for trump that this isn't normal <laughs> you know like like they wouldn't know right. any different like well, what, what 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 do you so what do you think things, about I think that just yeah so to be more specific some people are suspending their disbelief but i think um the other side of it is what Trump really is like, like the fact that whatever Trump really is behind what he does um, doesn't really matter. And if we do, if you do find out it's fake, you know, wrestling was at its most popular in American society in the late nineties when everyone knew it was fake. Right. And so um, (laughs) it almost at that point doesn't matter or, 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 you know, it's, there's, you're too invested. Like, and, and so, you know, I mean, I think, I think that's a huge part of it. Of, I think there are people, um, I think a big part of, of Trump, the way he works things is, is as this cipher that allows people to never, like, I don't, there's, and there's all sorts of debate about this, like is Trump a genius or a moron or somewhere in between, like which one, but it's kind of like, it doesn't matter because whatever, it's so surface, right? That, and that's what gets the response, and that's what attracts people um, that to get them to buy in, right? I mean, it's the, another way to look at the same thing would be his, his sort of ability of a, of a salesman to literally, oftentimes, sell nothing to people. Um, his greatest, you know, his greatest—the only thing he ever made was his own name, like really. So I think there's a lot. Um, 
a lot tied up with the kind of surfaceness of it and how people react to that um, as well. I don't know if that answered your question at all. Hold on. It did. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. That's really good. So th I have a question kind of, and, and it is for, uh, you know, I'd love to hear both your responses on it. Um, <clears throat> let me just give some quick context. So I, I voted for Trump in 2016. I did not in 2020. Um, and a lot of that had to do with, um, you know, as I was thinking about it more, I was seeing all the I just didn't feel like our country was in a better place in 2020 leading up to the election. Um, and even in 2019, I just didn't feel like it was in a better place um, than, than it was when he came into office. And a lot of my questions with, um, with Will, like a lot of my conversation with Will was very influential with me, just kind of thinking like, I remember in one particular conversation, just, I just, Will was like, I just don't think he's a good, good for our country. And that really stuck with me. And I thought about that quite a bit. Um, and, but you know, when I came into 2016, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel deceived. I didn't feel, I mean, I couldn't believe he was the guy I was voting for. It, I was, I was in disbelief that it was actually the candidate that was there. I couldn't have imagined that that was going to be the case. And I never, I never, got onto this, like, oh, Trump's amazing or Trump's awesome. I, I just thought I, I, he's just the guy. He's the lesser of two evils. And maybe that wasn't the right thing to think at that time. But I just went with the information I had and, and voted with my conscience and my values as I did in 2020. So I guess the question I come to is, like, what do you make of the fact? I mean, we've been talking about disbelief, but we're talking about, like, 70 million people. Right. What do you make of the fact that that many people came out and voted for him? If he is this like this grand, like, I don't know. And I'm not saying you're saying this, but like, it's almost like he's this grand, not deceiver. Although maybe some people would say that. I'm sure they would. But almost like this, this caricature, this act, like it's not real. We've been having this whole thing. So what does that say about our country and us? It's 70 million people voted for him, you know, in this, in this last election, more than any other president in history, except Biden. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. So I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? I mean, my, my first, you know, my, my first response is that, Republicans voted for the Republican candidate and that, um, and that at the, at the end of the day, you know, they're, you know, either they voted for, they, they voted for the Republican candidate on sort of for, on economic issues. Um, although that could break given, given Trump, that could break in different ways. Sure, right? yeah. Um, or they voted or they voted for Trump on social issues. Um, or they vote for Trump because he, you know, he's the Republican candidate and we vote for the Republican because we want to, you know, you know, better, better the Republican than the Democrat. Um, and then there were people who vote for Trump because they were hardcore Trump supporters. And, you know, all those things added up to those 70 million votes. Um, I think what, you know, what, what is interesting to me is that Republican, you know, when Trump picked Mike Pence, um, he picked Mike Pence to, to, signal something to a particular constituency within the Republican party. 
Totally. Right? He picked Mike, he picked, right? He picked Mike Pence to show. And what's fascinating to me is that, you know, there were, there were, there was a moment where Trump, Trump was impeached and Trump could have been removed from office and Mike Pence would have been president. It wouldn't have been Nancy Pelosi. It wouldn't have been Hillary Clinton. It would have been Mike Pence. Um, Perhaps I'm, I'm speculating here, but I suspect that some of the strongest defenders of Trump during the impeachment, both both impeachments, um, were those for people in that community who Trump thought he was getting with Mike Pence. In other words, more people, it, more of those people ended up su- supporting Trump as Trump rather than Trump because of Pence. And if Trump and Pence went on a, on a head-to-head today within that within that community, I suspect that Trump would soundly defeat Pence, hmm. right? So, you know, there's something about Trump himself that, that, that was able to mobilize a lot of people. Um, and a lot of those people might not have been typical, you know, traditional Republican voters. Um, but, but a lot of, most of the people who voted for Trump in the end, at the end of the day were Republicans because they wanted a Republican president and a Republican administration and Republican priorities um, rather than, you know, the Democrats. So I think at, at the end of the, at the end of the day, that, that was sort of the bargain. That was the deal that was struck. So that's how, you know, again, we can, we can start looking at the, the polling data and try to tease out, um, in, 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 in finer detail, but sure. that, that would be my, my sort of observation. Yeah, from partisanship that. is a hell of a drug. I mean, I think, um, like I know, and I always, I compare it to what it took to get Republican voters in Alabama to not vote Republican. It took Roy Moore. It took like like that was the line for people to get off, right? Off the train. Like suburban um, suburban white voters in Birmingham either just didn't come out or quietly voted for Doug Jones and didn't tell anybody. Um, and all it took to get them back on the train was Tommy Tuberville. And so somewhere in between Roy Moore and Tommy Tuberville is the line that at least for Alabama Republicans of right. And I, I think that's really instructive, right? That like, and, and it's kind of the inverse of Trump that Trump was able to attract, you know, these people who were not normally Republican and do it in such a way that he didn't lose people. Right. He's on the Tommy Tuberville side of that line. Right. And so, um, yeah. So I think this, I, I think that partisanship is just a huge, huge part of it. Yeah. Is that, is there a part of the work that you guys did with the uncivil religion that you think could be viewed? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like in a favorable light. And I, I mean, and I, I say that somewhat reluctantly because I, I think objectively what happened on January 6th was bad for the country. Um, but you know, the people that, went there and actually did the deed and got arrested, you know, arguably there's a piece of them that probably still feels what they did was altruistic and, and right. So like, is there, is there a side of, of this religious involvement on that day that can be viewed, you know, in a, in a, in a positive way um, and not necessarily like your view, but, but you know, a, another person's view, <laughs> for, for kind of from the eyes of the people that actually stormed the Capitol. I, I think one thing that we both tried to do, Joe was saying more about this, I think too, but is we 
tried in the project to avoid the good religion, bad religion thing. Like this is a very easy narrative that that even scholars of religion fall into. Like, you know, um, where it's like Jonestown, bad religion, MLK, good religion. And like, we kind of sort things out, especially politically that way. And I think we tried to, one of the benefits of having, you know, there's way more objects in the, in the project that are just standalone without any, um, essay and a lot of them like the there's a section they're kind of all organized in different galleries there's a people gallery where it's literally either just videos of people like of people or a lot of times it's people talking to their phones like selfie videos and you just get to hear what they're thinking and saying and what their take on the moment is um and i think that's a place where it's not positive because i don't think we're doing either positive or negative labeling but it's a place where people can at least see the people who were supportive of this might see themselves represented and we don't really comment on it. It's just kind of there. Um, but I think we try to, I think we try to avoid a good religion, bad religion take on it. What do you think, Jerome? Well, you know, I, I'm thinking about the, the capital build, the, the, the language that was used about, the assault on the Capitol. And so if you, there were a number of uh, representatives, congresspeople, senators who um, in, in discussing the event talked about that this was a desecration and using, using the language, using religious language to describe what, um, what the rioters were doing. Um, the, the people who are involved in the attack on the Capitol, um, some of them discussed sort of, you know, sort of, taking over, sort of protecting the sacred space, right? So th there's, a, there's uh, you know, the video that I talked about earlier of the QAnon shaman's prayer, right? That, that, that there was an understanding of, of, on some of them, not all of them, um, that in fact, this was a sacred space and they were involved in a kind of, in a sacred process of doing this. I think, you know, the takeaway from point of view of religious studies is to, to show, to illuminate how deeply connected our, 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 our political language and symbols um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and activities are with those that are attached to religion itself, that even though we are a country that, that formally has a, um, a separation of government and, and, and religion, um, that in reality, uh, in, in the, in the minds and act actions of everyday citizens, the language and, and, and the acts of religion can't so easily be teased out from political convictions and political actions. And I think one of the things that, that, this, that this project does is it kind of illuminates that this is the case. And not only, on the point, not only among the insurrectionists and the people who were attending these rallies, but even among um, elected officials who, were, who understood themselves as occupying a sacred space and doing something that was... So raised above the the profane um, give and take horse trading of everyday politics. Mm. Um, so I think you know it, it's important that that we're able to to see that that is actually the case and have conversations about about what that means and what we can do about it. Wow, that's awesome. Um, la la last question, just just a quick one. The uh, uh, how do you want this project to be remembered? Um, do you want it you know to be remembered as a you know, just a, another chapter in American history. Um, do you want it to be remembered as a, um, like a piece of art? Um, or do you want it to be, 
you know, remember differently. Um, I, I'm curious to kind of get both of your, uh, your thoughts on that. You, you can go first, Mike. Yeah. I mean, the project itself, I hope it's remembered as, um, as a resource for people and as a conversation starter. Like I think, um, I think the whole thing still raises more questions than it answers. Um, but I think that's good. And I think, you know, I hope it'll be a resource for teachers, whether it's not just at like the college level, but, you know, Sunday school teachers, community groups that want to dig into this stuff. Um, and I hope that it's a conversation starter. I mean, um, my, you know, I think about like, I sent it to um, my, my dad, who is a former evangelical pastor and voted for Trump twice. And his very visceral reaction to it of like, you know, in a very much like, what is going on with these Christian? Like, what this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Like, you know, very distraught. He was a very reluctant Trump voter. He was more of an anti-Biden um, voter than anything. And I think, um, I think those conversations, like that, you know, having those conversations and and sent are not just at the personal level, but at the larger classroom level, or whatever, are, are important. So I hope it'll. I hope that's what it will be. Awesome. What about you, Jerome? Yeah, and I guess I'd go back to what, you know, the question that Josh raised earlier in our conversation about, like, you know, how this event will be remembered or memorialized in, you know, 50 or 100 years from now. And I, I think what what we wanted to do was to make sure that these images um, were were curated and, and, and illuminated for what they are. Right? This was this was not um, just sort of a very marginal part of the event, but it was, it was up and center and it was, it was part of the, the, the religious dimension, uh, the religious motivation, the way in which people sort of brought together their various faith commitments and their commitments, um, to Donald Trump and their commitment to a particular act to, to, in, to participate in a particular political action in support of him, um, were bound up together. Um, and, and I think what what this resource can do is it can it forces us to recognize that fact and and think about what it means and and go forward and thinking about how we have a a functioning democracy with people who have extremely different views on basic uh, on basic ideas and 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 basic um, value issues and you know sort of still be able to live together um, in a civil society in a political community. Yeah, that's that's well said and. Uh, yes. d- Dr. Michael Altman and Dr. Jerome Kapolsky of the Uncivil Religion Project. Thank you both. This was truly yes, a thank you so much. A, a awesome conversation. Great, and, great conversation. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate the, uh, the the work you guys are doing. And um, um, just for our guests, um, what's the website that people can can find all that information? Uncivilreligion.org. All right. Easy enough. Well, thanks again, everybody. Um, And we will uh, see you all uh, next week. Thanks so much.